From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, electrostimulated accommodation and fibrinoid reaction during DMAC at AAO. From the core of the contact lens, uh, there is a connection by cables to an electrostimulator connected by male-female jacks. First this. Imagine a library of 100,000 books in subjects that interest you and subjects that don't. The books of this library are arranged, bizarrely, by publisher and date of publication. How useful would such a library be to you? How soon would you give up on trying to find a book that really interested you? ASCRS's impressive online content has been a little like that library until now. The new ASCRS Center for Learning at ASCRS.org learn organizes the vast and growing ASCRS online content, podcasts, and CME offerings into a unified, searchable whole so that we can find the material we want in the format that best suits us. Go to ASCRS.org and click on Center for Learning or go directly to ASCRS.org slash learn. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the AAO annual meeting in Chicago. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we'll hear from Luca Gualdi, on electrostimulation of the ciliary muscle and Michael Korchak on fibrinoid reaction during DMAC. I'm here with Luca Gualdi. Luca, you presented a really, really interesting thing. Um, you presented a presbyopia treatment, an ab external treatment with a contact lens. Can I get you to sort of walk me through this? Yes, it's a treatment based on a rigid contact lens. It's a scleral contact lens made in polycarbonate by 20 millimeters diameter. And the contact lens is in direct contact with the bulbar conjunctiva and no contact to the cornea. So the treatment is not invasive for the, for the cornea. And the, from the core of the contact lens, there is a connection by cables to an electrostimulator connected by male-female jacks. And the electrosimulator erogates uh, square wave uh, biphasic uh, microcontinuous current, uh, which uh, activates uh, the, the muscle with a passive induction of uh, stimulus, uh, with a contraction of uh, two seconds of contraction, followed by six seconds of uh, rest. And the treatment lasts uh, uh, almost uh, eight minutes per eye. So uh, let, let, me, let me picture this. So this is a, a contact lens with electrodes coming uh, from it, the electrodes uh, rest on the bulbar conjunctiva anterior to the ciliary body. Yeah. You are stimulating through uh, this tissue the ciliary body uh, at intervals um, of, o- o- over an eight-minute period. So mm-hmm. it, it's not that that it it's not that the the contact lens is what's going to... It's not that the patient has to wear this contact lens after treatment. This is something that's done during treatment. And then after this eight-minute treatment, the patient is discharged. 
and the the idea is to to stimulate to exercise the ciliary yeah. uh, uh, the ciliary muscle. Correct. Um, so I, I'm very eager to ask how how well this works, but let me ask some something first, which is what is the typical treatment protocol? So it's an eight minute treatment protocol. When does the patient get treated next? What's what's the the, the treatment pattern? Yes, as a passive uh, induction of a stimulus, uh, it's like an exercise, uh, as uh, you said. So you have to treat uh, uh, the patient uh, not only one time, of course, but you have to maintain uh, um, trained the the muscle. So you have to treat the patient uh, once, and then uh, wait uh, almost uh, 10 to 15 days to treat another time, and you have to activate the muscle. Once uh, it uh, it's activate. Uh, with the, the, the results on near vision and intermediate visual acuity, uh, it means uh, two or three treatments. Uh, you, you can follow the patient and treat only once every three months to maintain uh, the effect. So the treatment uh, uh, is made by, by uh, one activation dose and then uh, follow it by uh, maintenance dose of almost uh, one treatment every three months. Look, I'm going to ask two questions. Number one is, what were your results of your study looking at these patients? How much accommodation could they perform after treatment? Uh, and question two is, are there uh, particular demographics, particular sorts of, of patients who benefit more or benefit less from this sort of treatment? Yes, we saw that uh, the treatment uh, can give a good results on near uh, and uh, visual acuity. And um, the best patient has to be no more than 1.25 plus 1.50 of near uh, correction. Because uh, if you have more, the effect is very low and the people is already use uh, near vision glasses and the treatment cannot give the same results because they, they are used to, to use glasses. So uh, the best patient is uh, between 40 and 50 years old with early presbyopia. Even if, uh, because uh, mm, the crystalline lens increase more and more uh, uh, the, um, the weight uh, during the, the aging, so the crystalline, the serenity um, muscle needs to be uh, stimulated with more power to contract more the, the lens, because we know that uh, the main cause of presbyopia is uh, the lens and not the serenity muscle. Yeah, I was I was going to ask that 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 this 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 sort of treatment. Uh, seems to run contrary to what what the current thinking is, which is is that the the problem has to do with rigidity of the uh, lens, not increasing weakness of the of the ciliary muscle. What you're doing in this treatment is just trying to get the ciliary muscle to the point where it can overcome yeah. this uh, rigidity. And from what you tell me from the uh, treatment protocol, it sounds like after the the uh, first three or four treatments, this stimulation period, that the duration of uh, of effect of subsequent treatments is, is about three months? Does, does, Almost does three months, but uh, it's very different from patient to patient uh, because there are people from uh, 40, 43 years old that uh, uh, react better and uh, you need uh, every four months. Or there are people from 49 years old that needs uh, every two months. So it's an average uh, three months. Uh, you have to see uh, the response and then uh, decide with the patient the best program uh, customizing uh, the, for, for him. So how, how, how much, and I'm sure that I mean, the answer 
obviously it's going to be that it's going to vary a great deal uh, by the patient, by the patient's age. But uh, how much accommodative amplitude increase do you think that, that, you're, that you're getting from this? Yeah, we saw with several exams, uh, um, uh, best focalization of the near post, uh, nearest point with the Duane test by six uh, centimeters of uh, near, nearer. And uh, we saw almost one character uh, with uh, logmar at 40 centimeters and uh, it intermediate vision at 70 centimeters, only um, almost one character. And also uh, they increased their reading speed time and they could read more words in a minute. And also they increase uh, their um, vision in dim light conditions and uh, contrast sensitivity. We, um, we saw the patient also barometrically uh, speaking uh, because we, we saw uh, a negative spherical aberration uh, which is uh, more pronunciated after the, the treatment in maximum accommodation. We also uh, found uh, the UBM a useful tool to see what really happened after the treatment and we found an increasing of the lens thickness by almost one uh, uh, 0.10 uh, uh, millimeters and uh, uh, decreasing of the posterior ray of curvature and uh, especially of the anterior ray of curvature by almost uh, minus uh, 0 0.20, 24. Uh, and this is uh, the reflection on the, the best uh, near uh, visual acuity and the uh, results. Does, does this treatment change the patient's manifest uh, for distance? I mean, is it, I, I just want to make sure that it's not the case that you're inducing this tremendous ciliary muscle tone that the patients mm -hmm. are, are myopic after no, treatment? absolutely not. Uh, we, we did it also in low hyperopics and we found uh, they increased their vision uh, for far. Uh, but uh, absolutely it doesn't induce any uh, aberrations for far vision um, because uh, the treatment uh, uh, only, only for near vision uh, induce uh, uh, better results. And uh, we saw also, we treat also post-LASIK patients with uh, no, no problem on the, on the, on the flap. Uh, because uh, this, uh, these patients are the very demanding patient because uh, they, they were treated at almost uh, 15 to 20 years ago and they for the all the rest of the life they, they saw um, very good for, uh, for far and when they drop the 40, 45 they start to, to don't see better in, for near vision so they want something more they ask for uh, realistic uh, retreatment enhancement but uh, with this treatment, you can uh, uh, leave the same far vision, uh, restoring uh, the, the, the accommodation uh, loss uh, during the first uh, aging of uh, their presbyopia. Of course, uh, this is the very the, the best demanding uh, patient, and you can offer something uh, without uh, uh, induce something uh, more on their cornea or on the lens, uh, which is uh, definitive uh, and uh, with uh, more side effects because uh, you speak uh, about surgery. Surgery which uh, works on pseudo-accommodation and not really on accommodation like this treatment that uh, is not invasive and uh, it's not in competition with the others because uh, work uh, in another completely different manner. Look, uh, this, this contact lens is a, a, a tremendous vault so that there, there's no contact with, with the with the cornea, essentially, this is really something that's resting on bulbar conjunctiva. Having said that, did you look at corneal safety uh, with this device? Yeah. There is uh, no, no corneal damage. It's very important to remove the contact lens carefully to don't damage the epithelium, of course, and uh, to treat uh, the patient for, uh, with artificial tears for uh, one or two days because uh, for eight minutes he remained uh, uh, with the eye 
uh, lash open. So uh, after like uh, cataract or LASIK, LASIK surgery, uh, you have the, the speculum and uh, the eye can be more dry. So it's, it's good to, to leave the, to the patient artificial uh, tears. But uh, no uh, damage to the cornea, no induction of uh, um, uh, crystalline lens uh, dysfunction. We studied with the Schenflung camera and uh, we didn't find any uh, opacity or with the Tracy system we didn't find any uh, dysfunctional lens uh, in the exchange uh, between before and after the treatment. Look at this, this is really really cool stuff. I'm really happy that you brought this this this, this topic to us. It's really neat. Uh, I want to thank you very much for being so generous with your time with us today. Luca, molto grazie. Thank you. Grazie. Grazie a voi. I'm here with Michael Korczak. Michael gave a wonderful talk. Uh, interesting, a uh, little bit scary topic uh, uh, of uh, an intraoperative fibrinoid reaction. Can I get you to sort of set up the, the clinical circumstance, what actually is going on? And then, of course, I want to talk about your study. Of course. So, so this is a very frustrating reaction that can happen during DMAC surgery in which a fibrinoid strands appear in the anterior chamber right during graft insertion and it really disrupts the surgery and can make graft positioning very difficult. And at this time it happens sparsely um, and it's not very well reported so our purpose was to sort of figure out why it was occurring. So what does it look like during, during surgery and, and in what ways does it impede surgery? Sure, so it just looks like these whitish strands, almost similar to post-operative uh, fibrin that's been described after many different conditions. And during surgery, the graft, and as we all know, the DMAC graft is very thin, the graft just gets caught up on this and the edges, and it just can get into the interface as well, making graft positioning very difficult. So tell me about your study. Can I get you to, to, to describe its design? Absolutely. This was a retrospective review of around 600 cases done at the Devers Eye Institute. And we found seven uh, descriptions of this happening intraoperatively. And we looked at those seven cases to try to identify if we could see any etiology. And we tried to look and break down the surgery as well as patient demographics and graft demographics to see if we could find out what's causing this. Um, in our seven cases, uh, really there were not many similarities amongst the patients. Um, there weren't similarities among eye color, which had been suggested previously that perhaps brown, thicker irises would be more prone to have this reaction, um, but we didn't find that. We thought perhaps it was due to underlying systemic conditions like diabetes or autoimmune conditions, but not many patients had those, and there were really no correlations amongst our seven patients. Um, we even looked to see at the grafts. Um, and if the donor grafts their other eyes had this reaction, but none of the, the mate cornea grafts that were implanted in other eyes, um, none of them had this reaction. Huh. Yeah, so it was very, very unusual. Um, we additionally tried to think about the procedure itself, and we looked at peripheral iridotomies, because that's one of the steps in DMAC that's different than DSEC. This has never been described in DSEC. So perhaps that was it, but we, we even polled the audience at the conclusion of the talk. Many uh, doctors who don't do the intraoperative PI also experience that reaction. So unfortunately, at this point, we don't really know what's causing this, but we just wanted to stir the conversation and get people talking about it, because it's something that can be very frustrating during surgery. How, how did these patients fare? I mean, I don't know whether you looked at this, but how did these, uh, this subset of patients fare postoperatively? Exactly. Um, it's something that we think does have an effect on outcomes. In our, in our study, um, all the patients did have 20-40 or vision or better at the conclusion of the procedure, but the intraoperative manipulations done to sort of move the 
fibrin out of the way could be troublesome and cause an intraoperative hyphema in one patient. There were several patients who the unscrolling time was extended severely, not because the graft wouldn't unscroll, but because there were so many manipulations that needed to be done to get the graft in a position. And some of them had endothelial cell loss at six months, up, upwards of 70%. So we do think this is something that will have a negative uh, outcome in these instances. So, uh, and it's, it's interesting that you said that, 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 that this is not something that was demonstrated in, in, the, in the fellow eyes. So there's no, I guess, that, that there's no approach that you can take pre, preoperatively um, for these patients is sort of ward them off. You don't know who they're going to be. Yeah, we, we don't know who it's going to be. And we even had one patient in our series who had DMAC done in the other eye. And, uh, or we had four, rather, that had DMAC done in the other eye. In one case, it did happen. In three of the cases, it didn't happen. And that one case that it did happen, it was the second time that we were trying DMAC, and we pre-treated with topical steroids, but it happened anyway. Um, at this point, our best guess is that it may be related to the hypotony that is uh, sort of done during graft insertion and graft manipulation to aid in those steps. And perhaps there's some sort of reflux coming through the trabecular meshwork or something along those lines. Unfortunately, we can't prove that at this point. Um, but it's probably our best guess at this point. Really, really interesting stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's wonderful, obviously, that you've brought this topic to the fore. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the first step in, in identifying what, at some point, may be a therapy or a preoperative treatment. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you very, very much for bringing this, this topic to us. Uh, and, of course, for being so very generous with your time with us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Luca Guadi comes to us from the Diagnostica Oculistica in Microchirurgia Ambulatore in Rome, Italy. Michael Korczak is from Weill Cornell Medical College in New York, New York. Ask questions of Dr. Guadi, Dr. Korczak, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.